Hey, so uh, Easter Sunday, again, you know, it's just a joy to see you guys and be here. And to, for me, all week long, I, I did get to spend uh, part of the week with the kids down there. But just thinking about this week and sort of the progression, last Sunday we talked about Palm Sunday and, you know, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And then, as you know, if you've read the story, a lot of things happened in the course of the week, culminating on the first Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. And, and that was, as they say, the game changer, right? That's where everything changed. So this morning, we're going to look at that story again. I'm going to read uh, from the Gospel of John. There are parts of the resurrection story in all four of the Gospels, and each one gives us a little bit of a different view of what happened. We're going to look at John this morning and then talk about uh, one aspect of it that's particularly uh, special to me. And so beginning in John chapter 20, or 19, excuse me, says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon and Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. There was a lot of running on that first Easter morning. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is John, and John is a little tentative. He bent over and looked in. I don't know if he was afraid. Uh, he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight in the tomb. John's a faster runner, but Peter is a little bolder. Uh, he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I, have, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And so Jesus was buried in a garden. And it's interesting because I, in my recollection, every artistic rendition of sort of the tomb with the stone rolled away, you know, and there's usually a light coming out. But it's always just rocks, and it's sort of this desert scenario kind of looking thing. Uh, but uh, the fact is, John tells us that that tomb was actually in a garden. Joseph and Nicodemus were members of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling council who had plotted to actually have Jesus murdered. Uh, These two men, though, did not participate in that plot. They were actually disciples of Jesus. They were kind of closet disciples. They didn't really let on that they were followers of Jesus. It would have been, and I don't know, I would love to ask them someday, what what was your thinking there? Why did you stay and do things the way you did, but it might have been just that, that God laid it on their hearts to, to do that so that they could do this. Um, they didn't participate in the plot to kill Jesus. They, they were disciples, and they really did believe uh, that Jesus was who he said, is what, he said he was. Matthew tells us, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Nowhere to lay his head when he was alive, and nowhere to lay his body when he was dead. Jesus uh, voluntarily lived his life basically as an indigent. He didn't really have a home throughout his adult life and ministry. He traveled from place to place, had little to no earthly possessions, and certainly not a you know, pre-designated tomb or place to lay himself when he died. Uh, so Joseph and Nicodemus, these two uh, Sanhedrin took the body and laid it in a tomb. Matthew tells us that the tomb was actually Joseph's tomb. Uh, It was probably Joseph's garden. And it was, I'm sure, a family plot that they had prepared and was ready for him at some time in the future when he would pass. But he uh, made the decision that day to take and put the body of Jesus there. I am sure, I, I, I thought about this a lot this week, as I read this text over and over, and I thought about Joseph and Nicodemus and how they must have felt. It would be weird to me to be who they were and know what they knew, and I'm sure that they were heartbroken, they were sad, but they may have also felt guilty, a little bit of remorse, like, you know, maybe we could have done something. Maybe there's some way we could have altered history and changed this and prevented this all from happening. Um, But in any case, uh, they came and, and wanted to do what they could do that day to take care of Jesus' body. They laid him in this tomb, and, and Nick brought 75 pounds of, of spices and aloe and, and, and herbs to prepare the body for burial, which, as we read, was Jewish tradition. But 75 pounds is way more than is generally required to do that. I think he brought a lot. I think they were just wanted to do whatever they could do to take care of the body of the Lord. Personally, And this is just me. But I don't think it was a coincidence that Jesus was buried in a garden. Garden is a place of life. Garden is a place where you cultivate the soil and you plant seeds and you care for them and watch over them and eventually something grows. New life comes from a garden. And I think that's who Jesus was and what Jesus did. He cultivates the soil of our heart. There's a worship song. I can't think of the name of it. My friend Anna Beth Morgan 
wrote about, you plant seeds in the good soil of my heart. And I just think God plants seeds in our heart. Sometimes there are seeds of hopeless, there's hopelessness in our heart, and he plants seeds of hope. Uh, there might be uh, see, there might be failure or weakness in our heart, and God plants seeds of forgiveness and restoration and whatever that might be that we need. New life comes as the Spirit of the living God cultivates our hearts and cares for them and brings about life. Two days before Jesus died, he said, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. He understood the nature of the garden and what it was all about. He spoke, speaking of himself there, but I know at different times in my life I have thought of that verse in terms of other people's lives who, even in their passing, uh, left something behind that far extended uh, who they were and what they did in their lifetime. Some of you, probably not all of you, but anybody that's been around for a while is aware that prior to my... Uh, ministry career in a galaxy far, far away, long, long ago. How's it go? Far, far away. Is that right? It's close. I was a gardener. Spent the first uh, 15 years or so of my working life, working in horticulture, planting seeds, cultivating soil, mowing lawns. One of the less glorious aspects of it. Um, in the, the last part of that is I was gardening John Wimber, the founder, founder of the Vineyard Movement, was one of my clients. He was my pastor, but he was also one of my clients. And uh, on a given day, I was over at his house. I was actually planting flowers. Uh, they had, the uh, Wimbers had a, some window boxes across the front of their house. They had like a porch with some uh, chairs out there, and there was window boxes there. And I would plant annual color in there and rotate them a couple times a year. And I was out there planting flowers. And John's wife, Carol, came out and was talking to me a little bit. I just chit-chatting, you know, shooting the breeze. And uh, after a minute or two, Carol was just kind of quiet, and she was just standing there watching me plant flowers. And then she looks at me, and she goes, you know, whether you plant flowers or you're healing the sick, it's all alive. I thought, man, just incredible insight, you know. And it just made me think of creation and the love of God for life and new life and everything that is life. And all that Jesus is, and it doesn't matter, he, he so values life in, in, in us and in creation. And I don't know, I was planting pansies, but it was one of those God moments that obviously has stayed with me for a while. I think it was about 35 years ago. Maybe more. Crap. Um, there's so much of life and who Jesus is and what Jesus does for us. I mean, I just would encourage you to take some time today and give that a thought. Adam, at creation, was put in a garden and told by the Lord. His, his instructions were simply to care for the garden. That's, that was his only job. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And you know the story. Adam failed, and when he failed... He had to leave the garden. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Whole different thing to work the ground or care for the garden. Jesus, the last Adam, uh, would end up doing what Adam had failed to do. 
And by giving his life on our behalf, he became the garden that is the soil for life to grow in you and me. So the seed that fell became the garden. Uh, And new life springs from that. Can you guys come back up? We're going to close in just a minute, and the band's going to lead another song, but I want to leave you with a couple thoughts. Um, Two thoughts, really. The first one is, is simply this, that the Bible begins in a garden, but it ends in a city. But in that city, there's a river running down the middle of the city, and I thought about that this week, too. I, I'm not going to say prophetically, God's, I, hey, I don't like it when people say God's doing this or that in this place or that place, but I'm going to say there's life in a city with a river down the middle, and maybe God will do something for us. I don't know. It's the first thing I noticed when we moved to Portland. There's a river right down the middle of the city. California, we have a river called the Santa Ana River. The, the uh, banks of it are concrete. It ends in a river. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great river of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There's growth and life comes from who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And then the last thought I want to leave you with is this, that Mary mistook Jesus for the gardener. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, they've taken him away. Maybe it wasn't a mistake. Maybe Jesus appeared to her as a gardener because uh, prophetically he was just giving indication that that's what he was about. He was cultivating soil, planting seeds, and bringing new life. So what I would just uh, leave you guys with today is to give that a thought. And, you know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your lives. I know some of you, but regardless of what it is today, I would say this, that in Jesus there's new life. There's new life. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're lacking, whatever is awry in your life right now, and let's be honest, we all have stuff out of whack from now on time and again, don't we? I mean, I know I do. God wants to bring new life. He wants to cultivate the soil of your heart. He wants to plant seeds. He wants to water, and he wants you to grow. Why don't you guys stand?